The future of work isn't about shareholder value, technology, metrics, or automation. It's about being human and putting people first through actionable love. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast, where we hold deep conversations with extraordinary people to help you grow as a leader and expand your business. Here's your host, Marcel Schwantes. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast, the show where we explore the intersection of business leadership and practical love. Please share the episode with a friend to help us continue to spread this Love in Action movement globally. We're now at 150 countries. We'd love to be in more countries. So my guest today is someone that I can say I call a friend. Even though we have never met face-to-face, I know that day will come soon. We've been part of a, a global movement called Humans First Club, where we both have been uh, you know, presenters and, and speakers at, at different events. And I want to give a shout out to Mike Vacanti right now. He founded the Humans First Club, which connected Heather and I. And Mike was also a two-time guest on the show. So I'm honored to have with me today the lovely Heather Younger. She is a best-selling author, consultant, international speaker, including having donned a TEDx stage, and she's just an all-around leadership expert. I follow her, I follow her work, I'm a fan, and I learn from her, and I know you will too. Heather has earned her reputation as, quote, the employee whisperer, and don't worry, we're gonna cover that one as well. And Heather also hosts her podcast very popular leadership with heart. But the real reason Heather is here is because she has a captivating new book out called The Art of Caring Leadership, How Leadership with Heart Uplifts Teams and Organizations. Heather's book emphasizes the need for kindness, compassion, and empathy in all leaders. And listen, this is the whole reason why we have created this podcast, folks. It's to have a platform for people like Heather Younger to come and speak into our lives, leading with care and love and compassion works. Heather Younger now joins us. She is here and I'm so stoked that you are here, my friend. Welcome to the Love in Action (laughs) podcast. (laughs) That was an amazing introduction. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you for having me. This is going to be good. I lo- I just know it. <laughs> oh yeah, it's going to be fun. And you know, I, I got to say, I'm I'm relaxed because I know you. I've seen you. We've talked before. And I sometimes I bring on guests, and I have a little bit of a nervous edge because it might be somebody like you know, big name Ken Blanchard or you know Stephen M R Covey. And these people are like in my eyes, they're the <laughs> true the gurus that that yeah. I have followed for literally 10, 15, 20 years. And I consider yourself a guru too, but I'm not, I don't have that nervous edge around you because mm. I know you're, I consider you a friend. So I appreciate that. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Oh, I love that. That's awesome. I think I have that effect on people, which is why I do the work I do. That's great. All right, let's dive in. And before we get into your book and your work, we start with this. You ready? I'm ready. What's your story? It's interesting. I think of this. So I started in law school. I'm a licensed attorney. Don't hold it against me. I just, after about two years, decided that wasn't the right track. And I just did kind of a, a series of large account management, customer experience. And I get to an org, I, I work in these different roles in customer experience. And then I get to this organization where I'm leading customer experience. And I know when I join it, it has a, there's a merger taking place. And I anticipate that I may not be there long. Let's just put it that way. But I, I take it because I think my impact could be big. So I go into the role and 
pretty quickly, like within about six or nine month period, I see the culture starts to just go downhill because of this murder of five companies coming together, not just mm-hmm. one, not just two. And so I can see them as trust build. People have titles similarly, you know, painfully similar to those who are actually at the current company. Everybody's afraid they're going to lose their job. And I feel my own self being drugged down. So I go to the head of HR and I say, listen, we have got to do something about this, our engagement, our trust. It's just not great. And she said, you're right. You should go do something about that. And I was like, what? Like I'm leading customer experience. I'm not even in HR. Like, why am I going to go like do employee engagement? I'm confused. (laughs) But it made sense because at that point I'd already acted as kind of this culture ambassador employees would come to me off of different teams and ask my, you know, what the truth is, what's happening with their management. And I would uplift people around me, giving them recognition, whether they are on my team or not. And so I did it. I took on the challenge and I created this employee engagement council. And pretty quickly I saw, you know, we helped to do things like breaking down the walls of the trust by doing scavenger hunts and other team building types of activities that brought people together, made them more curious and not as much fearful. So that started to really change. It shifted kind of, I could see things changing, people talking to each other from the different companies. And, but the merger itself wasn't going so well. And there was a layoff and I was one of the, like a first hundred people laid off. And I realized though, like in that moment that no one was listening to the people, to the employees, the ones who are driving the business forward. And they needed someone to be the voice for them. They needed someone to kind of gather all the voices, give it to the leaders in a way that synthesizes, that makes sense to the leadership team, that they can go do something about in an actionable way. Action, I have an affinity to action. So that was a big one. That was kind of the aha for me. I realized I needed to be that person. I needed to be that voice for those who didn't ordinarily have a voice at the table, often felt like they were hopeless and helpless in a process, particularly related to change and mergers. And then so voila, that's how my firm was born. And then all the work that came from after that. You know, it's funny about this story and it's a great story. Thank you for sharing that. I can't tell you how many coaches, consultants, leadership practitioners that I have spoken with and to some that I've brought on the show, many that, that have not made the show where leading or teaching people, coaching people to lead with love and care and compassion is, is truly a life's calling. It's not so much work as it is mission. And that's what I'm hearing in you. It's, Mm-hmm. It's like I talked to somebody uh, two weeks ago that we are in this space to end suffering in the workplace. There's too much pain, too much yep. pain in, in uh, corporate America and largely, I think, and I, I think I'm going to touch on this later because of the environments that we work in. It, it's just not conducive to feeling cared for. I mean, plain and simple. Mm-hmm. I would say that and I would add this, that I know I'm also in it to let people, to have people understand that their voices matter, that they matter to me, that I'll help their voices matter to the leaders who can do something about the experience they're living inside of the workplace. So I want them to realize they have power through their voices. And I say that because as a child, you know, growing up, white Jewish mother, black Christian father, and my mother's family was not all happy about the union. And they pretty much, I was a black sheep, literally out of the family. I didn't get to yeah. go to weddings, bar mitzvahs. I, didn't, I was really excluded. And I felt like I didn't have a voice. I didn't feel like I was important or respected in that process. So it made me have this deep desire to want others to feel like they were important, like they had a voice. So it, it stems all the way back to that for me. And so when I'm there, right in the middle of that merger, and I want people to have a voice, I want them to be heard. I want their, the, them to know that the work they do matters. That is my mission. And so what happens is it completely converts over when I'm talking to leaders, the leaders, the executive leaders to say, listen, hold your horses with your 25 initiatives. We need to listen first so that we are pinpointed in our actions. Let's be pinpointed because our actions will impact the employee and the customer who's paying the employee. 
So hold down because when you hold, I promise you your benefits, your results are going to be much better than if you keep going forward with 25 initiatives at a time. <laughs> so yeah, it's good. It's good work. I do feel it's a calling for sure. That's awesome. So I sense that le- listening is going to be a running theme throughout this conversation. <laughs> and so speaking of listening, because I promised my listeners that we would touch on this. So let, let's get this out of the way. How did you become the employee whisperer? What's the story behind that? Well, I mean, I think part of it I've shared a little bit, I think is leading up to this, right? So you got the whole background that gets there and then it puts my entire, my company on a track of reading. We've read probably 30,000 employee survey comments. I'm yeah. talking about the comments, not that, so the qualitative side, I have personally sat in over a hundred employee, inter- employee, like basically focus groups or listening sessions with groups and groups of employees from different industries on majority of topics or engagement. There's also the DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging space. So we're there to dig. And so this idea of really, truly listening, my superpower is empathy, relatability, and this listening idea of leaning in and caring so deeply. So I'm able to really get and gather in pointed ways what they want and need. Then they feel safe. As you kind of allude to, I don't feel nervous. I don't feel, I feel like I know you. And then I'm able to really get to the truth and grab that. So it's a superpower of mine that I'm trying to learn to pass on to other people because I think this is, is work that's valuable. I mean, I've, I've sat in these meetings like visually on Zoom or Teams or like in person. And, and at the end, they say, oh, thank you so much. Like I actually for once feel heard. And I hope that everything we've told you, like I'm, I, I feel I'm thankful and I'm grateful that what you, we've told you will actually go back to the people who can do something about it. So I hope you'll tell our leaders. And there's a certain level of responsibility tied up in that, isn't there? You know, oh the listening God. I do. I have to say their message pointedly. It has to be in, in a way that's the language of the leaders who can receive it. I can't do it in a squishy-wishy way. I need to be very, it has to be very direct. It has to be very pointed. There may be some facts or data behind it, but no matter what, can't, like you said, it's the squishy stuff. The squishy yeah. stuff. People, people think this work we do is squishy, touchy-feely. Yeah. And I've done the same where all of the data, the voices of employees and every, you know, after I gather the patterns, the maybe the toxicity that's going on, it's causing people to be disengaged or even leave the company. When I present that to leaders sometimes, or a lot of times it falls on deaf ears, they're not ready to receive it. And I think that just speaks to the kind of leadership. And personally, Heather, I don't know how you feel about this, but I tend to now pick and choose who my clients are going to be. Because if I know that the top of the food chain is not open and humble to admit, hey, these problems are going on and it starts with us, that's half of the battle right there is they have to champion the change management. They have to champion a new way of doing things, right? And so I, I do a lot of listening to, to find out, do they have the capacity and do they have the humility to listen and then make changes and include and look at these, the voices of these employees who are basically crying out loud, hey, you're not getting it. And we're suffering down here because of it. Exactly. I yeah. agree with you. I, I do think that there's a, you have to have an awareness that there's a problem and a desire to move that forward and the kind of stamina to do it too, right? So if you don't yeah. have those things, it's never going to change anyway. It's, you're right. I have been much more discerning in this year, especially maybe the pandemic, I was less discerning because, oh my gosh, right. We, just, we needed business. It was kind of a crazy time for people like us, but And now this year that things are kind of completely rebounded, it's this idea of discerning, is this client one that has the appetite for the changes required? Yeah. Let's talk about the book. And you found nine ways that leaders can ensure all their employees feel cared for. You already mentioned, uh, you know, these thousands of data points that have come your way through these, uh, these feedback forums, et cetera. But boil it down to how else did you find out about these nine ways? Yeah. So I have a podcast too. It's called Leadership at Heart. And what happened is I got to maybe episode. So I, what I do is I bring people on who are people managers, 
folks who lead other people, even if it's just one person, but they lead other people from CEO down to a supervisor. And that purpose of it is to, and I, and they're self-picked either they're picked by me or they're referred by listeners. That's usually how that works. So they don't have to be perfect. There's obviously no perfect person, but they do have kind of a higher level of emotional intelligence. They do kind of lean on the, on the caring side, on the heart-based leadership side. So I, I bring them on. I talk to them about their leadership style and their, their drive to lead. And then I ask them this question about when were times when they weren't the best leader and what, what do they did to do to come out of it? And they have to recall a very specific story and all the steps and then what they did from a solution standpoint. So they've probably done about 180 of those interviews, uh, podcasts. And when I got to like episode 25, I was like, oh my gosh, they are brilliant. Brilliant. Brilliant, not in their perfection, brilliant in their imperfection. The brilliance. I was like, I have got to reveal this stuff here. And more than just podcasts. A lot of people don't listen to podcasts. So I was like, let me put it in another medium to get this out. And I knew I had to get a book. So for episode 25, I started to really think hard about that. So the first like 80 people are the ones who got inside the book. And so then what I did is I, was, I took a lot of time to synthesize out of all the ones I've heard, like, what are the themes here? What are the things that are coming to the forefront? And I'm tying this to those 25,000 or 30,000 employee survey comes, all those focus groups and what I hear and read employees want. And then I'm kind of reconciling that with what these leaders are doing or failing to do. And so that's how the nine things came to, it actually started off at about 12. And then I was like, but wait a second, these two are really similar. And there's still quite a bit of overlap and even the some ones you have now, but there were nuanced areas. So I had to pull them out separately, but it's, it's like narrow. Okay. Nope. More narrow. Cause that's like, that's that. Nope. Nope. This is that. And so then it was like, I think it, I think this is where I land based upon all these things. And the, it's a lot of work to get into that, but the nine yeah. are there, nine are there. And yeah. what I've done is I've backed up kind of facts. I don't have a ton of data points, meaning like stats inside the book. It's more of a, it's an intuitive read that has a lot of stories, has points. It has my own personal experience infused in it. But I think in the end, people get it. They get it. This is what care means. And this is how I can do it. Well, you know, there's always going to be skeptics that might not buy into a a, a caring approach to leadership. So why should leaders and managers give a rat's ass, Heather, about something as soft and squishy as leading with care? It's so funny. I I've been kind of pondering this even more lately when we think of Bezos and Jassy and that kind of exchange out with leadership and how he became like, you know, the richest man in the world or one of the, like one of the top three, right? And so I think through this, it's like, wow, like you still can get these like these great results when I'm not saying I don't know him personally, but I've heard of all this, the style and the, the way, you know, things are going in their plants and all that. And I thought that that's, can't be a caring leader. So I don't know how he was able to get the results. So I say that and then let me back myself up. Then I'm able to interview people like Gary Ridge, the president and CEO of the WD-40 company, who really recalls for me a time where he was leading a certain way and they were at about 300 million market cap. They're a publicly traded company. WD-40 company is that can of oil, basically. That's what it is. And what he did is he had gone to take his best, one of his like mentors and now kind of best friends is Ken Blanchard, so you mentioned him. And he went, he went to got like a master's program and it was, ended up being under Blanchard at his, as his like instructor and mentor. And he realized, and during that time, it was like an epiphany that he was not leading, he was not leading with care. He was not having kind of having this servant leadership mentality. And so he really pivoted how he did that. So he, he renamed his employees, his tribe. He just started to do all these things differently. And now they've got like 96% employee engagement scores year over year. He goes down and says hello to people in the morning. You know, the company now is at a, 3.4, 3.4, he just told me, he called me on the carpet on this. It's no longer what it was in the book. I think I said it was 2.2. Now it's 3.4 billion. In two years, he made up another you know, 1.2 billion. Um, and it was all, the, I'm not joking, it was all showing up with care. It's all figuring out how much care he can put into the workforce to, and also how much more visionary and how much he can create a vision that rallies stakeholders, shareholders, customers, everybody around this common vision. 
And so believe me, care matters. And I talked to, I go to a smaller company. I talked to Daniel McCollum. He has about hundred employees, software. He's a Salesforce, like a Salesforce company, a company that basically they sell Salesforce and they help to, you know, maintenance of Salesforce and they do that kind of thing. And so I talked to him and he talks about a time when he wasn't doing that. He was, you know, again, it was about like the contract, the clients and all of that. And his focus wasn't really on the people. And he decided he had done this like pilgrimage thing. And it was like this whole spiritual awakening, but he realized that his whole thing was about a calling and that he wanted to uplift people and like make sure they were, they had their personal mission was like big. And that he could, even if he had to move them on to their greater good in another organization, he would be there to do that. And so we had, again, these awakenings where his style changed and everything became about around the people and the culture. Mm. And again, and he's like the number one Salesforce consultancy, let's say, I think in the US for sure. I'm not sure about the world, but he's definitely like one of the number one. The results are there. Like the numbers are backed up by particularly the epiphanies of these CEOs or the leaders who say, huh, I want more. I want more results. I want more performance. I want more productivity. I want, I want the engagement scores on my division or whatever to look better. How do I do that? What am I doing with my people? If, am I treating them like a number? Am I treating them just like, where's your project? Where's the process? Project's not complete. Why not? Or am I leading them through some of these other ways that we talk about in caring leadership? Okay. Just in case that the words caring leader or, or leading with care are coming across as vague to the listeners, can we drill down to like your own very specific definition? I mean, how would you define it? Caring leadership is showing concern and kindness towards those you lead or who look to you for guidance through daily actions. So mm. the thing that I've added to that is the daily actions. Mm. It's the okay. daily actions. So people think that you can like do a party for the team and then voila, I've just like celebrated them. And then like, that's good. No, that's not good. That's not enough. So it sounds exhausting to be a caring leader, but if you have five direct reports, if you put, if you pour more of yourself into them, more of your time, more of your focus and your effort into them, I promise you your end result of reaching the project, improving the process, getting the number you want happens. But you have to show concern and kindness towards those you lead or look to you for guidance in very consistent ways and daily ways. Absolutely. Here's what's interesting to me, Heather. It's And I'm getting this from your book, but I'm going to speak to this as well. You say, and I quote, every leader thinks that he or she is a caring leader. And the majority want to be caring leaders, but most fall short of demonstrating that that care in consistent ways. And I get this all the time with my clients. I mean, they're good human beings, Heather. They, they don't walk around or walk out the door or these days walk across your living room to your laptop, right? <laughs> uh, with the intent of making the lives of people miserable. I mean, they're, they're good human beings. But what they think caring and kindness is in their mindset is more transactional. So you might hear things like, you know, they're treated, my employees are treated, right? And I'm nice to them. And, you know, I give them their annual bonus or celebrate their birthdays. And, or, you know, if you're back to the office, you may hear, you know, I bring them donuts in the morning, right? And so through all my coaching sessions, I'm beginning to realize that their idea of caring is more at the surface level and you know, maybe more of a checklist than a way mm-hmm. of being than, you know, a true caring mindset. So I've been inspecting this in my own, sort of my own, as I try to figure out how can I coach these leaders better? There seems to be a fear for them to want to go deeper with their employees, you know, to learn about their needs, their interests, their struggles. It's just messy. It's too messy. They don't want to go there because it might open them up for things that they just don't want to hear. Right. I don't know. That may speak to the listening skills and, you know, every good leader should be able to receive feedback. So caring leader 
if I may, tell me if you agree here. It's not for the faint of heart. This is truly for a courageous person to, if you're going to put yourself in the esteemed role of, quote, leader, there is an amount, an immense amount of courage that you have to have in order to lead with care. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Yeah, there's a lot of courage. Let me say this too. I'm going to, I'm going to make sure I put a dot on this eye. And that yeah. is leader to me, while my show is me talking to people who lead people, while a lot of my work is talking to people who lead people or like are the executives or the people, I do that for one reason, but I'm going to share the other thing about leadership. So I do that because as I told you before, they're the ones who actually control the purse strings as far as giving resources to issues. They are the ones who decide which, who can go left, who can go right, who can go up, who can go down inside the workplace. So, or even inside the home. I mean, anyway, right inside the community, like those the people with the titles are the ones who usually are the ones with authority who can actually make the decision. So it's the reason why I focus so much on that. Having yeah. said that, if you're listening to the show and you do not have a manager title, I want you to know that caring leadership is still your responsibility because mm. it's not about, I say it's, or those who look to you for guidance. So what I mean by that is you're in the grocery store and somebody goes, oh, excuse me, it's, let's say it's an elderly gentleman, elderly gentleman. And he says, oh, I'm, I can't find that this, can you help me? Instead of going, it's down now 13 over there, like on the left hand side, just go look at that. Maybe people might think, well, that's kind of a caring thing. You at least like talk to him. Well, why not walk him down to aisle 13? Walk him down to the area and say, here it is, gentle sir, and grab it from the ca- and give it to him. Caring leadership is taking the daily actions, but it's also going a little, f- you don't have to have a title. That person looked to you for guidance. So it is more expansive. It's those who have a manager title and those who do not. It's those where people just look to you. And so then decide to yourself, do people look to me for guidance? Let's see my children. They look to me for guidance. And I go in the community, they look to me for guidance. So now you see now it's the entire world's responsibility. Anybody who ever looks to anybody for guidance then should owe the other person caring leadership. Okay. So I just wanted to be saying that. I want to make sure I say that here. And so you're right. It is courageous to do that. It's not for the faint of heart. And I'm going to be honest, it's exhausting. So mm-hmm. like, I'm saying this because this is how I lead. So I've always I've chosen to lead. I've chosen to lead this way because of my childhood story, right? So it's been a, a mission. So it keeps me going because it is a mission. But it's it's exhausting to be completely because you in order to be a healing, you really have to create the safe space. You have to lead the whole person. You have to lean in and listen deeply. If you don't want them to tell you like go too deep on a story, you ask open and close-ended questions. Ask them a question, an open-ended question when you want them to tell you the whole story. Once you've heard enough, start asking more pointed close-ended questions. And then you get them to start only giving you yes, no answers, more pointed answers. So now you can help them solution if that's what they need. But mm-hmm. also asking permission to solution with them. It just takes a lot of effort to be good at this. It takes a lot of focus, a desire to lean in. And also there's a lot of selflessness to be a caring leader. So as I say that, well, I know we're going to go into some chapters. So I want to make sure you're, I'm not saying lead all yourself out and have nothing left for you. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying know that that faint to heart, the courage, the, the putting, to, to pouring yourself into your people, it takes energy and you have to have a commitment. Absolutely. And I always borrow this from the, the great leadership guru, Tom Peters, who now says the soft is the new hard. And what he means, the soft skills is the new hard skills. And for anybody that chooses the path of caring leadership lead, or in my case, you know, love and action, it's truly a daring and courageous path that you can take because those that aren't willing to do it, they will shy away from it. The ones that think that caring, compassion, kindness, empathy is too squishy and too soft. Well, they are the ones that are actually failing in stepping up with courage to leading and leading your troops to do great things together. So this is really important. You start the book with the most, I feel, the most important prerequisite of a caring leader. And that is 
cultivate self-leadership skills. So it starts with you first, the leader, caring for yourself before you can become a caring leader for others. So what, is, what does that look like? Unpack that for us. Yeah. yeah I'm going to give it to you like at the base level. I don't know how many folks listening that have you know children, but I have four children. So life is a little bit busy with the business and everything too. And I often will be like meeting their needs, like one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Okay. This client, this client, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. And, oh, my husband, did I tell you that I'm married. Uh, one, two, three, four, one, two, right? So I'm just like meeting, 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 meeting. And all of a sudden I get depleted and then I'm getting a little irritated. And now like anything they ask me, I'm like snickety. So the issue here with self-care, with, you know, with the congruency, with authenticity, the self-leadership concepts are, we have to make sure that we line things up just like so and intentionally and consistently pour into ourselves first. Somebody gave me this, just a great metaphor, but it's this idea of a teacup and the saucer. So you got, it's on the saucer. Teacup is on the saucer. The, the tea is inside the cup and there's a lot in it. So it's pouring over onto the saucer. Well, as a leader, we want to be pouring in our cup constantly and giving from the overflow, not from the cup. Huge. It's like, oh, phew. So for me, I have to spend a lot more time. So in the morning I get ready to do my workout. I eat well. I take my time in the morning to do what I need. I have my cup of coffee, right? And then it's like, what do I do throughout the day? What do I do on the weekend? Am I going to get my pedicure? Whatever it is, like whatever it is is for you, right? You ask yourself that thing. Are you taking enough time to figure it up? So there's self-care is one component of it. There's this idea of congruency. So what you say you value, do you actually value in your actions? So congruency is a big one. Authenticity, not being authentically a jerk. So are you authentically a caring leader? Are you showing genuine concern and kindness? Or is it the faking stuff? And you have to kind of evaluate that and see who you are and how that how you show up that way. This idea of having kind of a circle of people or some people that you can lean on and they can say, they can smack you into, smack you into some, rea- you know, rationality. Stop that, Heather, which I have a couple of those people where I'm like, and then, and then, and they're like, pew, 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 pew. and I'm like, okay, thank you. Whew, thank you. I got out of that like stupid circle of pit heck coming up, you know? Yeah. So, you know, you have, there's all these different things that come into this idea of self-leadership. It is the biggest chapter. It's the biggest course in my academy. It is because it is so important. We cannot give what we do not have. We cannot care for others if we do not care for ourselves. It's just, there's no way around it. There's no way around it. That's good. Okay. So for the rest of the show, I want to talk about how how to put those caring leadership behaviors into action. So we're going to uncover some of the nine. And so this will be the very practical application side of the show where we give you listeners the meat and potatoes of Heather's book. So Heather and I, we're going to do the steps and we'll do it after this short break. Don't go anywhere. Hey, leaders and managers, Marcel here. If you haven't heard, my leadership development course is now in full swing and it's getting great reviews. It's called From Boss to Leader. And if you like the theme of the podcast, you're going to love this course. It's intended for leaders and managers that want to learn real leadership competencies. You know, the everyday stuff that you need to engage and inspire your team or company. To learn more about the From Boss to Leader course, you can visit my website, marcelschwantes.com, and click on virtual training. Okay, Heather. So if I'm listening right now and I want to shift my organization or team to a caring culture, right, that obviously leads to good business outcomes, where do we start? Caring culture. So, I mean, I think the biggest thing, here's what I would say as a a, a people man, the number one most important thing you can do is to spend time with your people one-on-one in a consistent way. Here's why. It actually does lots of things for you. It makes them feel important. 
It creates a connection. You're in a place where if you can do it without distractions, you actually can listen more effectively. So if you can create the one-on-one time with them, you set it up in your calendar. And I had a cadence of doing this a lot when I, particularly when I was in a larger workplace and had more people reporting to me, I would, every single one of my direct reports at that time, I think I had like five or six every week I set up a meeting. Now, sometimes I had to cancel because there'd be an executive leader that would pull me into something else. But then I would go in, come back to my meeting and either I'd reschedule, uh, you know, I already have the next week, but I would stop into the team member and say, I am so sorry. Like I had to, you know, do that. Is there something like anything else, anything you need for me, something to help move the, move the ball forward for you, anything that you need. So I'd always, even if I had to cancel, I'd always stop in to make sure I was there for them in the moment for whatever they need. Cause that was really hard to get a hold of. Most of us are right. We were at that director or above level. You're like moving quickly in zillion meetings. So you have to make sure you're there. If you had to think of like the one takeaway, if you don't do it now, make sure you put a, on your calendar 30 minutes with each person. And what, here's the other thing I would say. You could do, if you want to play it right and you really want to be smart about this and get the most out of your team and get more results, more results, more productivity, projects being project timelines being hit on time or ahead of time, it would be to meet with them, let's say 30 minutes on projects processes and do like a 15, 20 minute check-in. That's all about them, just them. No projects, processes. And in fact, you say like, we can't, we don't talk, we're not talking, unless it's like so urgent, it's on fire, they have to talk about it. Yeah. You're not talking about it. You're only talking about how are you, like, how are we moving towards your goals? What's going on with your career? How are you feeling right now? What's in your way? So those are the things you're going to be doing, but you do it consistently. If you have that cadence, you are going to see way better results than you are today. So that, that right there is a caring thing that you do. It's not just like, for me, it's not obviously the end goal is not the result because that's, again, I, I'm leading with love, but if you want to, if you feel like you do care, but you're not taking the right steps, that would be a step you would do, um, a very important step. As we talk about listening, listening is what's important for listening. In order for it to be effective, it has to be bi-directional. So it's not just you sitting and listening. It's you asking the right questions. It's, it's a going back and forth thing. It's a dialogue that's happening. Most people think listening is just shutting up, but not always. In fact, the most effective listening is asking the right questions, open and closed-ended. So those types of things would be important because people start to feel really heard when you ask the right questions and then you summarize what you heard to them and, and the actions you plan to take on their behalf. And then once you've taken that action, you come back to them and you say, listen, thank you so much for sharing that in that meeting. It was spot on. And I went to so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, and here's what we came up with. And we're going to make this change. And it's all because of you. So thank you mm. so much for using your voice. Like powerful, again, tiny, like not earth shattering, but at, if you're in the moment, if you think about this. I always say like employee experience, customer experience, they're all the same. They're all about processes. So we put processes in place. So you know there's a cadence for this and a cadence for that. But in the front end, the person experiencing that process feels really good. They feel the care because you have been thoughtful enough to put the process in the background. Okay, of all the nine, is there one that really floats to the top that you would say, okay, and maybe you've already answered it. It might be the listening culture or perhaps psychological safety, but is there one that floats to the top that leaders right now that you can say, if you're going to start with a caring organization, this is where to start. Here's what I would say. You got to start with you first. So that's always going to be, so self-leadership is there for a reason and that's got to be there. And so you got to, you got to focus on, on you, filling you up, learning, training, developing your brain, reading books, listening to podcasts like this one, you got to do this. That's first. So that's first. There's, <laughs> that's first. The second one, as it relates to others, is listening. Listening, if you think about it, if you've listened, if you really are committed to being a good listener and you're taking, you're using the process in the background, you're already going to be leading the whole person because you are taking everything in that they're saying. You're summarizing, you're gathering their needs, you're finding the kernels of truth, you're understanding pinpoint area that you need to focus on 
to meet them where they're at. So you're, mm-hmm. you're able to create psychological safety because you built trust up because you take the time to be with them. You're right. Mm-hmm. You're able to help them build resilience because you took time to be with them. So you know their issues so you can help them through it. So I think that listening would be the thing that would boil up aside from this idea of self-leadership. Yeah. Okay. So I've asked this in the past to other guests that provide me with great practical advice that can be implemented, but then there's barriers to those things, keeping those things from happening. So in the case of caring leadership or a caring organization, what would you say are some barriers that stand in the way? Here's the thing. In order to be a caring leader, have a caring organization, caring leaders. So caring organization is made up of caring people. Organizations are just corporate entities with walls. If you have a building and they have like legal instruments. So organizations are made up of people. The leaders inside of them are the ones that should be showing care. And the ways, the things that get in the the way of them are if you want to care, you have to have awareness first. So you have to know you've got an issue. If you don't think you have an issue, you're not going to change and everyone should be showing caring leadership. You're just not. If you feel like there's a hole, then there has to be this willingness to fill the hole. So you have to know you have the hole, you have to willingness to fill the hole, and you then have to have the stamina to see it through because it's not going to happen overnight. I guarantee you, I have had I've had people who've gone through, let's say, employee engagement cycles, and we do the whole listening process. And we, we take them through the process and they're like, okay, so like the next, like within six months, they're like, so what's going on with our engagement? We're like, you're not going to see that in six months. You may see some little low-hanging fruit, little anecdotes, but you're not going to see the numbers change. So maybe year two or three really change. So that would be the biggest thing is people having this idea that they're short-sighted, they have a lack of self-awareness, or they have a desire to really have the stamina to get through it. Those are the barriers. That's good. Okay. So chapter 10 of your book is the ROI of caring leadership. So I want to, I want you to uncover what that is sort of like as just to boil it down to if you're a champion or even if you're not, and you're still on the fence, what is the ROI of caring leadership? Again, the idea of the ROI is really based upon, it connects directly to the things we think we value. So as we think of diversity, equity, inclusion, let's just get that as an example. And we say we want a more diverse and inclusive workplace. How do we get there? Do we get there through the numbers? Do we get there because we sell more? How do we get there? We get there by leaning in, creating safe spaces, psychologically safe spaces where people feel free to speak the truth. We get there by leaders who pay attention to their people are very intuitive about what their needs are and seek out to meet the needs. So you don't get the DI. Let's say you're looking at sales and you're like, I really have to get, we really need to drive our numbers up. But we have people who are exhausted at work, right? They, the pandemic, they're exhausted. Zoom, see, there's all these things that are going on with a great resignation. How do you get people to want to go over and above in an environment like that? You think you do it by paying them more money? In some place, in some ways, that is a yes. So yes, bonuses will motivate, right? But money's only going to take you so far. Do they feel like they're on a mission that is bigger than themselves? Do they feel like they're involved in meaningful work? And if the answer to those are no, the money's only going to take you so far. It's not mm-hmm. going to last. So the ROI is tied directly to these other things. Money's important, but once you get past a certain mark, let's say like $70,000, money is less important. Now it's about, do I feel cared for? Do I feel unique? Do I feel like I stand out? Do I have a path forward? Do I feel like my work is meaningful? There's all these questions that they're asking themselves. And now they're asking themselves even different questions. Like, did I even feel safe to begin with? I feel more safe at home. Do I want to go back there? Did they ever make me feel safe? Can they make me feel safe again? So they're asking different questions now. How can you answer those for them in advance in a real methodical way that makes them feel the care that you have for them? So I'm thinking right now that the pivot is, well, think about how you can go from what used to be normal to now what can you create as a new normal that's going to be empowering to your employees, 
where people feel heard and they take ownership of their work. And yes, they are still accountable because they have to provide results and they have to provide high performance, right? But they have the environment and the conditions are set in place for them to do that, to perform at a high level. But at the same time, they're not losing their sanity in the process. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I I think that, yeah, I'm not even sure it's, yeah, I guess it is a new normal in that way, right? When we think about, you know, the changes, I, I, I wish I had all the answers, right? For people like us, we have to keep up on this stuff. So like this, it's like, because the change is happening so quickly. And so for us to be, you know, real true advisors to people, we have to constantly be with the people, with the team members. We have to understand what's happening in their lives and we have to ask the pointed questions. And so just, you know, keeping in mind that listening is not just about listening in silence. It's asking the right questions. And it's about not being, it's what, what you talked about earlier, Marcel, too, is this idea about not being afraid, being courageous as a leader to go deeper, to take that step deeper, to go to ask two, three questions in when you're not prepared mm-hmm. to ask that. I did this the other day in the listening sessions and the people were like, "Uh oh, like, I don't even know how to answer this. And I said, listen, I'm not, this is a confidential conversation, but I kind of feel like I need to go here to ask this and this and this, because if I don't, it doesn't help me contextually be able to tell the executive leadership team what I need to tell them in order to make change happen. And so of course they opened up, but it was like, I had to go and go deeper and deeper in order for them to really, for me to get to the truth. So you have to be courageous to get to the truth. Sometimes we have that still small voice in our heads that keep nudging us forward, nudging us forward and saying, you know, you have to ask, you have to bring this up, but we skirt, we kind of shrink back from that. And that's all fear-based. So that's when the courage comes in is to be able to be vulnerable enough or be daring enough to bring up something that obviously has to come forward in order for, maybe it's a conflict. And in order to cut through the conflict and get to the other side where you'll see sunshine again, is to have some really, really tough conversations. But we are afraid of conflict and we're afraid of facing peers and colleagues or even our own bosses to say, hey, this is what's coming up. This needs to happen. This needs to change. You know, we're afraid for our jobs. We are afraid of, uh, you know, being reprimanded. And, you know, we're afraid of our own imposter syndrome, if you will, right? What will happen if I actually come forward and maybe express something that is truth? And it needs to be spoken out loud, but nobody's doing it. Well, what happens if you are the one that decide the one day, okay, if nobody's bringing this up, I'm going to do it. And chances are that if you do it in courage and not out of fear, good things will come out of it rather than that those lies, those scripts in your head that say, don't do it because you're going to lose your job or don't do it because you're going to be demoted, et cetera. So that's just my own thoughts. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I agree 100%. It makes a lot of sense. So as we wind down here, Heather, I love that there is a a link to a self-assessment in the back of the book for any leader to complete to help them fill the gaps. Talk us a little bit about that. Yeah. So the self-assessment is kind of lined up based upon the nine behaviors in the book. I had an IO psychologist, industrial organizational psychologist, who's like, that's what he does. He helped me through and create this assessment and to make sure it was really validated so that when you go to it, you can trust the outcome. So right now, the self-assessment, exactly what it is, how you answer it depends on what the results are, right? We are about to, uh, we have an advanced report that gives you some tips on what to do to like, if you have different gaps in certain areas or you're lower in certain areas. And then now we're working on benchmarking. So now that we've had like over 700 people complete it, now we're benchmarking per title and per industry. So that way you can say everybody who's a director and customer service, everybody who's right, that kind of thing, you'll be able to benchmark now against your just folks in your, in your area. So those are all really valuable. We, we, I wanted to do that. I wanted to make sure the book had more, it was more than just a book. We have a whole caring leadership ecosystem we've created that has a self-assessment, a community with community calls, 
and a Caring Leadership Academy and it, all of it, it's there. And we have Caring Leadership coaches that can help you. So we, we really, I created this entire thing because I didn't want it to stop there. I wanted you to have a support mechanism that said, I know I can't do this alone. I know it's a journey. And I want to just put all, a whole bunch of heads together to be good and to stay on this journey in the strongest way I know how. So that's the strength, I think, of the Caring Leadership Framework is that it has a whole support system behind it. Fantastic. So before we come to a close, is there any question I should have asked but didn't that is really important to this discussion? I don't think so. I don't think there was a question that you asked. The only thing I would say is this, I mean, just, just to kind of recap this, yeah. that caring leadership is showing concern and kindness for those you lead or to look to you for guidance. Remember that. And in daily ways and daily, taking the daily actions to show that each and every one of us has the power to do that for one another. If just imagine the ripple effect that would happen if we all showed care daily to those who look to us for guidance who are in our circle or in our space, what the world would look like. Mm. There'd be a lot less pain, a lot less pain. So I just invite you to that. Absolutely. It has to be actionable. It has to be consistent. So it has to be daily. All right. So we bring it home with two final questions. Personally, Heather, what's really tugging at your heart right now that you would like us to know? There's so much pain in the workplace because people aren't listening. So people don't feel hurt. People don't feel important. So the thing that's tugging my heart is just the fact that, you know, there are a lot of leaders who aren't getting that. They aren't understanding that. They aren't understanding. There's so much they don't know about their businesses because they don't dive in. They don't get in the trenches. They don't stay with their people. They don't get with their people hip to hip. So that's the one thing that's tugging my heart is just, I would wish that more leaders would do that. Mm. Heather, you get to close us out your way with your final statement, or if you want to have a mic drop a moment, it's (laughs) (laughs) Oh gosh. I don't know. I believe in every, every person's ability to change. And so just know that if you hadn't done this in the past, or this sounds a little foreign to you, that you do have the ability to take the next step and change and be that caring leader. I think it's in, in, in every person, but it's all about the awareness and the desire to make the change. Yes. All right. If people want to connect with you, learn more about you, where can they go? I would say to go to caringleadership.co. That's probably the best place to go where you can see the community. You can access all the stuff I talked about. And of course, you can find me on LinkedIn. That's probably the biggest the platform on, that I'm on the most. So LinkedIn and just go to Heather Younger. Uh, you'll find me there. It's been a blast. I knew I was going to have fun. I did. And I learned something from you as I always do. So really appreciate you hanging out with me today. Oh, I loved being with you too, Marcel. And of course, I always learn from you and everything you put out there. So thank you for all the work you do. Awesome. Join the conversation and comment on this episode with hashtag love in action podcast. And look for my show notes on my website, marcelschwantes.com. I will include Heather's contact info there for you to connect with her. Thank you for listening to the show. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review on Apple Podcast. Doing so will help more people to find the podcast so we can keep spreading the Love in Action movement. Until next time, don't forget, the future of leadership is love in action. Believe it, practice it, and be convinced.